Sports Wrap. Well, good evening to you. Welcome to SAFM Sports Wrap tonight. It is a Wednesday, and coming up on tonight's show, we got a jam-packed one for you. We'll hear from the number one test bowler in the world, Kachisa Rabada. We'll also uh, pay tribute to Amanda Dlamini this evening as she hangs up her boots. Uh, when it comes to uh, women's football, we'll get the latest from the Dakar, and uh, we'll also preview tomorrow's or the start of tomorrow's SA Open that gets underway at uh, the Glendower Country Club. But uh, let's take a look at some of the stories making news headlines. Proteus coach Otis Gibson says he's expecting another belter of a wicket when the Proteus take on India in the second test uh, against uh, the Indians at Supersport Park in Centurion this coming weekend. Dale Staines' injury last weekend uh, means Duan Ulifid and Lungin Ngidi have been added into the squad and Gibson says it's important to take advantage of home conditions. Yeah, I think when, when you're playing at home, you sort of uh, play to your strengths, you know, and, and at the moment we have some high-quality fast bowlers like you saw there. Obviously, they all got injured, like I said, but you saw... Um, uh, I guess a rather sporty pitch, but also you saw some good fast bowlers on both sides. Um, and, and that's, from my understanding of Centurion, Centurion is, is a, a pitch with some pace and bounce, and um, that would probably be the makeup of the team as well going forward. Gibson says because of his background, he'll be leaning toward more pace all summer. I'm a very fast bowling minded uh, coach, uh, and I guess. We will always have to have to find a balance with what is can we get four fast bowlers in the team first of all is the conditions conducive to four fast bowlers. If not, then we will try and look at other to shape the team in other ways. You know, but ultimately, especially in this series and, and for the rest of the summer, we'll be looking to see how best we can fit four fast bowlers into whatever formula we come up. with. Meanwhile, the MCC World Cricket Committee has urged the Board of Control for Cricket in India to back the bid to have the sport included in the Olympic Games. Former cricket players Ricky Ponting, Mike Gatting, Kumar Sangakkara and John Stevenson met in Sydney today to discuss the Games' return to the Olympics. Cricket was last played at the Olympics in 1900 at the Paris Games and last year the International Cricket Council said uh, that a majority of their constituents backed the decision for T20 uh, to be added uh, to the upcoming Olympic Games. Staying with T20 20 news in the Big Bash in Australia earlier today. The Hobart Hurricanes beat the Brisbane Edge by just three runs. There's some domestic cricket taking place at Bullan Park in Pal this evening. The Dolphins up against the Cape Cobras. Uh, the home side batting first. They posted 289 for six in their 50 overs. The Dolphins' run chase is underway and they're going along quite well. 79 without loss in the 15th over are the men from KZN. They need another 211 runs off 34, uh, 35 and a half overs. In soccer news, Platinum Stars head coach Roger Dessar says he'd like to sign more new players during the ongoing January transfer window, but his hands are tied as he has to wait for the club's sale agreement to be concluded. So far, Stars have added two signings, having roped in forward Letsi Bang from Cape Town City, as well as former Orlando Pirates midfielder Monty McCaw on a free transfer 
We're waiting to see, as you know, the club has been sold. It's no, no secret, everybody knows that. Uh, so we're in a little bit of a, of a limbo. We're waiting for the news to be announced and who is it going to be and, and then what can we do? You know, do we buy, do we, do we borrow, do we, you know, do we swap? Or, you know, those are the things we're waiting for. So right now we're a little bit on a treadmill, you know, sort of waiting to see, but we've got to keep moving, but waiting to see what, what's going to happen. So, you know, but right now we, we're waiting. We don't know anything. Us, we are working and... One of the players the Sars hoping to add to his squad is the recently released Supersport United midfielder Cole Alexander, who he confirms has been invited to join the club. I have spoken to him. I've, I've made him an offer, uh, but he's obviously getting offers from other clubs, and he's obviously weighing it up which way he wants to go. So um, I know that he's had offers from from two other clubs and, and us. And um, he's leaving SuperSport. He's being released, so we can talk to him. And but obviously he's got to decide. It's not our decision. We we've made him an offer, and now he's obviously going to sit with his family or whatever, and he'll he'll make the call. Meanwhile, Bitvest Vitz coach Gavin Hunt says his side must trust their methods as they face another crunch encounter at home to Supersport United tonight. The league champions currently languishing at the bottom of the log after uh, just two wins from their 15 games to date, during which they've managed to just score seven goals. If Vitz do get a win, it'll lift them off the foot of the table. Meanwhile, Matatansa are going through a rough patch themselves. They've yet uh, to pick up a win in their last six league matches. In motorsport news, former Tottenham and Chelsea manager Andre Villas-Boas has withdrawn from his first Dakar rally. That after damaging his back during the fourth stage in Peru, the 40-year-old left his role as coach of Chinese side Shanghai SIPG in November to complete uh, to compete rather in his first rally. His, uh, he was 2 hours 18 minutes and 50 seconds behind the leader after the third stage, but on the next, his Toyota Hilux hit a sand dune. Villas-Boas sustained no broken bones but was taken to hospital for a checkup. Coming up next here on SAFM Sports Wrap, we'll chat some cricket. SAFM Sports Wrap. On to some cricket now here on SAFM Sports Wrap. And as mentioned yesterday, South African fast bowler Kahisa Rabada has risen to the top of the ICC Test bowling rankings with another solid performance against India at Newlands in Cape Town. Rabada returned figures of 3 for 34 in the first innings and 2 for 41 in the second. That performance was enough to move the 22-year-old into the number one spot ahead of England's James Anderson. Yeah, it feels great to be um, at the number one ranking. It's what I've always wanted to do. Uh, so hopefully now I just keep doing what I'm doing and keep trying to win games for the team and perform well for myself and just to to, to keep getting better and better. The Proteas took a 1-0 lead in the series after their win by 72 runs. The South African bowling attack were a man short in the second innings after Dale Stain, who's just returned from a year-long injury layoff, injured his heel in the first innings. He'll miss the rest of the series. Rabada says he loves playing alongside the likes of Stain, Vernon Philander and Mornay Morkel. Yeah, it feels great. Unfortunately, Dale's is out the attack now. Um... So that, that would have been a, an extra bonus, bowling with someone like that. But I'm, I'm glad that I have uh, bowled with him and hopefully bowled with him again in the future. But yes, uh, our, our bowling attack is very skilled, um, as, as you've seen in the past um, and in the last game that we've played. So it feels great to be playing alongside uh, these, these veterans. Rabada admits not all pitches are as seamer-friendly as the one they've just played on, but says he understands what it takes to be successful wherever he plies his trade. Well, every condition is every every stadium has different conditions, 
And what makes a good bowler is adapting to them. So hopefully I just adapt to them and that's how I'm going to, to do my best to get wickets. With the return of Morkel, Philander and Stain from injury breaks, Rabada says as much as he'd like to have first bite of the cherry, he says his role is to be a team player, so he'll bowl wherever Captain Faf Duplessis needs him to bowl. Well, I just play wherever they want. I just bowl wherever the team wants me to bowl. But obviously I would like to open the bowling, but it's a bit tough at the moment because there's two very good bowlers who are opening the bowling. So I just like to do whatever the team requires me to do. Um, um, and set your own uh, your, your own aspirations aside almost uh, so I'm, I've been really happy with the roles I've been given uh, just to try and get wickets and defend at the same time that's important Rabada was bowling at speeds consistently above 140 kilometers an hour in the first test, but feels the numbers may be deceptive. The young fast bowler says what's more important than bowling fast is ensuring that he's bowling with a good rhythm. I don't know how fast I can get, but I always try my best. Uh, sometimes I don't even think the speed gun is telling the truth, honestly. Uh, sometimes I can feel when I'm bowling quick and when I'm not. Sometimes I feel like I didn't bowl quick and this speed gun says 145. Or sometimes I can feel like I bowled a decent ball and the speed gun says 131. So, uh, yeah, it's always nice for the fans, I guess, to see. Uh, I don't know how quick it can get. Not really. Uh, I feel like the pace is something that's already there. What's important is the skill. And then I think... Um, I haven't really worked on a pace session, really. Something I should do. Rabada says even though he's currently the number one ranked bowler in the world, there's always room for improvement. Well, it's never ending. I mean, there's always something you can improve on. So once you, once you get something right, um, there's always something new that you can work on. And that's how, what I've felt like in my career so far. Um, there's, always, yeah, there's always a problem. But um, even those skills, I mean, there's always polishing that you must do. I'm not 100% uh, accomplished in those skills. So I need to just do more and more. And yeah, that's striving for perfection. But you're never going to reach perfection, but at least getting there and thereabout. Well, I think the main goal is just to maintain performance. I think the main goal for me would be in training. Uh, just to get what I can out of the training session. Uh, that's, that's my goals, really. The action now moves north to Supersport Park in Centurion when the Proteas take on India in the second uh, test between the two nations. The Proteas have a chance to wrap things up in uh, Centurion. That after they clinched the first test. Fantastic uh, effort by Faf Duplessis and his charges. The second test gets underway this coming Saturday. And we'll have updates for you right throughout the weekend and the rest of the test match into early next week right here on South Africa's news and information leader. SAFM Sports Wrap. 
You're listening to SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. And uh, big news is uh, that Amanda Lamini has uh, announced her retirement uh, from Banyana Banyana. Big news indeed. She's been a loyal servant uh, of football in South Africa and has been uh, an integral part of the success of the South African women's national football team. She joins us now here on SAFM. Amanda, welcome on to the show. Thank you for joining us tonight. Thank you so much, and uh, greetings to all the listeners. Amanda, big decision. You're only 29 years old, uh, 29 years young, I should say. This is a big call <laughs> to uh, to be calling it quits on, on international football. What brought about this decision? Well, um, it's it's been a tough year. Um, it's been a tough couple of, of days leading up to this, this uh, decision. Um, it's not an easy one, especially when football has been... Um, a very integral part of your life um, from a very young age um, when one was still a teen to um, an older 29-year-old. Um, it's all I've known. It's all I've, I've woken up and really had the desire and passion to to master the arts and really get better, you know, every time. But I think it was a pending de- um, decision or I think from 2015 already um, because at that point in time, um, I had just graduated in 2014, and I thought to myself, you know what, um, given the situation of football, women's football in the country, I doubt that I'll go any further or I'll make um, a living out of, of, of football in this country. So I'd rather just focus on um, all the things that I do at school, um, university, and probably go look for a job. But I guess my teammates had a bigger vision for me, and they are the ones that that kept pushing me. What what next? What what now for Amanda Lamini? Um, I think that's the most challenging question at the moment um, because I thought that I would be prepared for this, especially because um, I've already had opportunities uh, while still playing for Banyana, you know, to say that even if I can um, call it quits, I know that I have something to fall back on. But I think it's scarier now knowing that um, I finally made that decision. So I think um, I'm very keen and still very interested in, in being an advocate of change, especially in sports, but especially for uh, women in football in the country. So I'm, I'm going to be that person um, that is running with the baton in terms of representing um, female footballers in Africa, be it in Africa or in Europe, um, because we want to see change. Um, you don't want to find another player who will be like Amanda, who has to um, make a decision between a footballing career that is not paying much um, or pursuing other uh, different parts um, where in the job sector or in the business sector. Amanda, you made your de- debut for Banyana back in uh, 2007, so essentially a decade of, of playing at the highest level that, that you yeah. could possibly play for. What are you most proud of in those 10 years? You've obviously skipped the side, but uh, there have been some highs, there have been some lows. What, looking back on the career, is, is the moment that really stands out for you as, as something you're particularly proud of? Um, from a person who initially just wanted um, to share the change room with uh, her role models, it then turned out to be um, a dream come true, um, playing for so many years in the national team, um, having a hundred over a hundred caps and and captaining the the team as well, qualifying the Olympic Games twice. Um, I've made friends um, who have become sisters just because we play football together for so many years, and those are some of just the memories that I always cherish and you know will always reflect on. And 
meeting so many people who really want to aspire to be like us and um, also our fans who always come out to the stadiums and constantly cheer us on. Um, those are some of the things that I always just hold dearly. Amanda, you, you've also, in those 10 years, obviously seen big changes in women's football, particularly here in South mm. Africa. The sport has grown immensely. The, the standards have improved immensely. But there's still a long way to go, and, and uh, I'm sure you'll be the first one to admit that. And, and like you say, it's uh, it's sad to have to make the choice between playing football and, and earning a decent living. It shouldn't be that way. What's, in, in your mind, are the biggest challenges facing South African or, or women's football in South Africa? And what would you like to see change in, in the future? Well, I think um, the biggest thing is is always going to be about the salaries because you'd want for 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 all the women in sport or in football um, to take football as as a career to make a living out of it. But we we can't. We still have to um, find jobs or even finish school and so forth. Um, I think I still would want to see and maybe an increase in the wages and salaries for 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 all the players in the national team. Uh, be it in the juniors or in the senior teams. And um, there's so many other things that we want, the exposure, the coverage of the games, um, not just on one channel, but on all the big broadcasters as well. Um, just uh, sponsorships also. I think we've had Cecil for over nine years now. They, they are the ones that have been carrying Banyana literally um, a force of, of change, especially in women's football in the country. And hence we see the increase in, in, in the numbers and participation in the league, in the Sassel League, and that is quite good. But we still need a professional league to also um, filter down to the development structures, from the development structures to um, the amateur or the semi-amateur league. But also we need that professional league to be administered in, in the proper way. Man, are you also looking at sort of how women's football in South Africa has improved over the last few years, particularly the last few years. It's been on the rise for, for like you say, for, for close on a decade. But I think we are really seeing fruits of, of labor that was put in years ago. And, and a lot of it, it's, as you say, it's not about the money, it's about passion. What do you attribute the rise of South African football to over the last few years in this country? Well, apart from from us as, as, as the players, you know, accepting that if it is that we want to bring change in women's football, it has to start with us. I think we had these conversations um, leading to our college attention to the Olympic Games uh, in London in 2012. We said to ourselves, we want to make history, and if it is that we want to change things, it starts with us now qualifying for the Olympic Games. And I think from that day, everyone took up that onus in saying, this is my responsibility. I want to um, have a positive influence and change in women's football, and it starts with me. But also, I think SAFA has been in open talks with um, SASO on how to to change um, the perceptions of, of, of female football in the country. And hence, we, we started seeing journalists coming to our, our media, uh, uh, um, the open media days at Banyana, where in previous times we only had five journalists that would come and interview us and want to know about Banyana. But Things started picking up. Um, Sasso insisted that there are media days uh, that we go to schools and, and interact with the kids in schools um, at the mall to promote our games. And those are the kind of engagements that are needed so that people can relate and know the national team. And um, that kind of partnership between Sasso and Sasso, but also with the players' willingness and openness to, to try and, and, and have some positive change and influence has really helped. Um, but also the journalists um, on radio, print, um, on social media, wherever, um, on TV, 
those are the people that also tell our stories because without them, no one would know anything about that. So there's been a good um, working relationship um, um, around everyone that has an interest um, in Banyana promoting something very good. And it and it really is um, it's like an interest around the African continent, also around the world, um, especially with Verapal's influence also coming in and and showing the world that we can also have we can also improve that we have so much potential and that really um strike an interest um around and I think the most important thing is that young girls um across every race are now interested in playing um football and that is something that we should be proud of. You you mentioned young girls who who are interested in the game and, and want to play it. What's your message as you as you head away from Banyana Banyana now to to a young girl sitting in Kwamashu or in Orlando in Soweto who, who who dreams of playing for the national team? What what would you want to tell that little girl? Well, I start by saying that um, they need to finish off at school first. Because that is the most important thing, as I had indicated, that we, we don't make enough money to actually survive on that. And I think if it is that you believe in your talent and you're, you're just as talented, you need to really focus and put everything behind making sure that you want to fulfill and really nourish your talent. Um, I think that's very important. But also, you always constantly need to work hard. And I think that's one of the hardest things that you can do as a Banyana Banyana player once you're in the team. You need to fight for your place. And um, if it is that you're not in camp, you need to work hard alone because no one is going to be reminding you to train because we do not have a professional structure that allows us to compete at the highest level. So that hard work needs to be constantly put in. And mind you, it, it, it doesn't come easy. You really need to have the passion and desire to make sure that um, you you want to push as hard and really cement your, your, your place in the national team. Amanda, you, you also mentioned former Banyana Banyana coach Vera Powell, who, who did amazing things for South African football in her tenure as, as the coach. But I, I think much must be said as well for, and, and I hate saying the words, interim Banyana Banyana coach Desiree Ellis, because I think it's about time Safa get their ducks in a row and actually appoint her as the coach. But she's had a major role on South African football as well, and, and you've worked closely with her over many years. Yeah, we've worked uh, very close with Coach Des, and she's been one person who <clears throat> has really followed my progress in in in, in the game. Um, but I had a really short stint with her as as the head coach, like you put it, as the interim head coach. But to me, she's she's a head coach. Um, but um, she's really done well under Coach Vera Powell as well. But I think the biggest mistake that we were doing with Coach Des is trying to um, maybe force her to fill in the shoes of their power, whereas they're two different individuals and she needs to be granted an opportunity, uh, in all fairness, so that she she's one of our own. And if it is that we want to take women's football seriously in the country, then we should start grooming our own coaches and believing in them. So um, if she's given an opportunity, so be it. If not, then um, maybe there's a bigger plan uh, where, where South is concerned. Absolutely. Well, Amanda, you've been such a loyal uh, servant of South African uh, football. I want to thank you personally from me because every time we've put in a request to chat to you, you've been more than willing to mm-hmm. chat over the years. And uh, I've spoken to you on many occasions in good times and bad times. You, you've made yourself yeah. available, which is great. And uh, I want to wish you all the best. Uh, I'll be following your progress uh, beyond your football career. And if there's anything we can do in the future, I know you have a, a foundation as well. If there's anything that uh, you guys have got on the boil, please do let us know and we'll be more than willing to spread the word. Thank you for, for the memories and thank you for your contribution to South African women's football.
Oh, thank you very much also for the support and really telling our stories from the dusty streets of, of Harding in KZN um, to 105 cats of Banyana Banyana. Um, no one would have known about it if you guys didn't tell our stories and really believe in, in promoting women's football. So from my heart also, thank you so much. SAFM Sports Wrap. On to some golf now here on SAFM Sports Wrap. And uh, the European Tour resumes this week at Glendower on the east end of Johannesburg. The BMW SA Open, hosted by the city of Ikuruleni, gets underway tomorrow with all the top names in South African golf in the field, along with a number of European stars. Back to defend his title is Englishman Graham Storm. Janet Witten has more. Last year, Graham Storm won the title less than three months after coming close to losing his tour card. He won a sudden-death playoff against former world number one Rory McIlroy. That sparked off a year in which he ended up banking more than a million euro for the first time in his career. Yeah, it kind of gives me the feeling of I've got a little bit of an edge on the field. Uh, but I know that I'm still going to have to play really, really well to, to defend. And I want to put up a good defence. You know, I don't want to just kind of be in the middle of the pack or... I definitely don't want to miss the cut. I'd love to be here for all four days. But like I say, I've been a little bit rusty. I've been injured over the winter and just kind of looking forward to the week. But yeah, I mean, being back here gives me great feeling and walking around in the pram today made me feel good. None of this year's local hopefuls are in the top 20 at the moment, but there are 12 in the top 200, many hoping for that big breakthrough. 2016 champion Brandon Stone is joined by fellow European Tour winners Dean Burmester, George Kutsir, Darren Fishart, Dylan Fratelli, Brandon Grace and Hayden Porteous. Fratelli may be the most exciting of those after finishing last year with a flourish that season begin this week as the world number 54. He was the most travelled of the South Africans last year, playing in 23 different countries. Grace has come off for Christmas break following his victory at the Nedbank Challenge. You know, this week is, is phenomenal. It's, it's always nice to be to be back in South Africa playing here. First of all, it's, it's always great to see the fans come in and support the local guys. And, you know, it was a pity last year I started in the, um, back in Hawaii, but this year it's nice to be able to be here, um, you know, support the sunshine, to support the, the big event. And, um, you know, you've got some, some great sponsors like BMW that, that's thrown a lot of money into this event and, and really got it to, to back where it should be. And Ernie Els leads the contingent of those with a major to their name, a list that includes Ratif Hoerson, Charles Schwartzel and Trevor Immelmann. The only big name missing is Louis Oersthuizen, who will start his season at next week's Singapore Open. Oersthuizen is still the highest ranked and highest earning South African golfer, banking 43 million rand last year to Grace's 40 million and Schwartzel's 32. Els had a tougher year, coping with a couple of injuries and also seeing his daughter off to college in the U.S. He's won this event five times, but a sixth would be, let's say, unexpected. But this tournament is close to his heart also because it raises funds for autism. We're helping the, you know, the Johannesburg School and, uh, and people around the country in, in South Africa, uh, families who are affected uh, by autism, you know, to, to get their kids into better education. Um, you know, we're trying to do what we did in the U.S., trying to duplicate it here in, in South Africa. And... Uh, Basically to have families with, with kids with autism to really have a, an hour or two out without any pressure from anybody else 
and um, and just have a good time with, with a game of golf. The SA Open is the second oldest in the world after the British Open. It was played for the first time as an exhibition event in Port Elizabeth in 1893. Vijay Singh won the tournament back in 1997, the first time it was played here as a co-sanctioned European Sunshine Tour event. It's been taking place at Glendower every year now since 2014. Schwarzel says the course is in very good nick. Playing tournaments in South Africa is always a pleasure. You know, it's it's one as, as a South African, we don't get to do that very often. Uh, um, to play on a golf course like Glendower, um, as as being an open, I feel it should be difficult. And I think Gary Todd's done a really good job setting it up. Um, uh, green speeds, uh, from what he said, was faster. So I'm guessing he's going to push him up on the weekend again. Um, you know, on the Kukui rough, it's always a difficult day. <laughs> Play gets underway at 6.30 on both the 1st and 10th tees. I'm Janet Whitten in Johannesburg. SAFM Sports Wrap. Time to shift our focus to some motorsport now on SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. It was back to reality for the Toyota Gazoo Racing South Africa team in stage four of the Dakar Rally. All three crews suffered serious misfortunes during the 330-kilometer track, experiencing punctures and stoppages along the way. Janiel de Villiers explains. Yeah, I've had tougher stages. Um, you know, if... if it's just a pity we lost the tie off the rim, you know, because then everything just uh, went wrong. Uh, if we didn't, if the tie didn't come off the rim, uh, we would have been fine because uh, you know you could go, you can go anywhere. This car is so good in the dunes that you can go anywhere. Uh, but the fact that the tie came off the rim, I mean, I couldn't turn, and uh, I turned into two holes, and there we were stuck for ages. Bernard Tenbrinko was the first Toyota Gazoo Racing South Africa Hilux to cross the finish line, but even he couldn't escape the difficulties of the Dakar. Yeah, we had a lot of things to do. Also, we uh, pushed in some air again on the stage, and I was uh, three times out of the car. And that's, you, you can see we lost a lot on the Peugeots, but uh, yeah, from the Toyotas, uh, we till now the best. But Stage 5 sees the teams head to Arequipa, and navigator Dirk von Zitzewitz expects things to be even tougher today. Um, according to the organizer, stage five should be the hardest day of the first week. And now if you look at today, which was very hard, I mean, but it went wrong for us, but it was a hard day, hard, tough day. So if tomorrow will be tougher than this, then phew, I, I, don't, I don't know how many, many cars will finish that day. SAFM Sports Wrap. Well, as it stands, heading into that stage, Alatia is in fourth position, 58 minutes and 48 seconds behind overall leader Stefan Pederhansel. Tim Brink is fifth and de Villiers in eighth place. That's it for the show this evening. A quick cricket update for you from the Momentum One Day Cup. The Dolphins going great guns, 115 without loss after 21, chasing 290 for victory against the Cape Cobras at Boiland Park in Pal. Coming up next, it is the talk shop. From myself, Brad Brown, you have yourself an app Absolutely superb evening from my team in Johannesburg this evening. Zelma and Luyola, thank you so much uh, for your help. Right now it is 7 o'clock and Greg Hose has your news.